Here at Calvary Chapel Northeast, it's our goal to make disciples of Christ by exalting our God, equipping believers, and engaging in our community. Thanks for tuning in to this week's CCNE podcast. Today, Pastor Brennan will be teaching out of the book of 1 Corinthians. Fritz Chrysler was his name. He's the world-famous violinist. All of you have him in your Spotify, right? You know who I'm talking about? No, nobody in first service did either. Uh, He passed away in 1962. This particular musician earned a fortune with his concerts and his compositions, but it's known that he generously gave most of his money away. So when he discovered what was a -a one-of-a-kind violin on one of his trips that he wanted so badly, he wasn't able to buy it. However, he sought out to raise the money, and having earned enough to meet the asking price, he returned to the seller, hoping to purchase this beautiful instrument. But to his great dismay, it had been sold to a collector. Chrysler then made his way to the new owner's home, and he offered to buy the violin. The collector said that it had become his prized possession and that he would not sell it. Very disappointed, Chrysler was about to leave when he had an idea. He asked the new owner, could I play the instrument once more before it is consigned to silence? Permission was granted, and the great violinist filled the room with such heart-moving music that the collector's emotions were deeply stirred, to which he said, I have no right to keep that to myself. It's yours, Mr. Chrysler. Take it into the world and let people hear it. I have a question for you this morning. This is the main question I want for us to consider today. If you're taking notes, I would encourage you to write this question down. How precious is the gospel to you? How precious is the gospel to you? What emotions does the truth of the gospel, the gospel message, all of scripture from Genesis to Revelation, the story of God in pursuit of us, what does it create within you? The word gospel, we know, is the Greek word euangelion, which is translated as good news or gospel, and it combines the word angelos, which is the word for one who is announcing news, with the prefix eu, which means joyful. Therefore, we understand that gospel means news that brings joy. The gospel like that violin is something that no one has the right to keep to themselves. But I wonder, do we view it that way? Do we see it that way? Does the gospel, in terms of how it's affected our lives, produce that kind of feeling or response? Just a few weeks back on Palm Sunday, we considered Jesus and his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on that Passover week. As he made his way into the city and people lined the streets shouting Hosanna, it was the religious leaders who cry out to Jesus saying, you need to silence the people. But we know that Jesus replied to them differently in this case than he had in the past saying, if I tell the people to be quiet, even the rocks will cry out. I pondered on that Sunday morning with you the question, 
of as our earth seems to be groaning all the more, I can't help but sometimes wonder, are God's people being too silent? Are the rocks beginning to cry out? I'm mindful also here this morning of the prophet Jeremiah. You may be familiar with this passage. The uh, prophet Jeremiah in chapter 20 verse 9 says of the word of the Lord, he says, if I say I'll never mention the Lord or speak in His name, His word burns in my heart like a fire. He says, it's like a fire in my bones. I am worn out trying to hold it in. I can't do it. Listen, my goal for us this morning is not to try and guilt you into pursuing evangelism. I'm not trying to put some pressure on you today to share your faith wherever you go. Now, I will say I would love it if we were a people who, like Jeremiah, could not contain the truth of the gospel, that it just burst forth wherever we go. But I understand that this must be a work of the Spirit in our lives, the Spirit working in you to cause you to share your faith, but to do so genuinely and authentically in a manner that's consistent with your giftings and your abilities, right? We, we understand that not everyone is an evangelist in gifting, but we all are or can be equipped to tell others about Jesus in a way that is natural to us. So today I do want us to evaluate how precious is the gospel. Let's just start there today. Do we have a fire in our bones, an urgency, even an inability to hold in what we know of Him and what He's done for us? I've held it in at times. I hate to say that, but there's times when, when I knew that the, the Lord was giving me the opportunity to share with someone, especially early on in my faith. I held it back. But there's been other times, and it's so cool that I'm, I'm meeting with someone, and there's a particular time that sticks out in my, in my head. It was when uh, I worked uh, in, in the corporate world, and, and there I was, I was, I was walking with someone, and, and they were just telling me about their life, and they were talking with me about different things that they were going through and the struggles that they were facing. And, and, and maybe you know this, right? You're, you're, you're talking with someone, and you know in this moment it's like building, Right? The desire to share with them the gospel starts to just build up in you, and you know it's coming. And you start to think, and you're praying because you're like, I don't know how they're going to receive this, but I know that I can't keep it in. I have to tell them that Jesus is the answer for what they're going through. And, and, and so sure enough, this person, he's, he's telling me all this stuff that he's working towards and trying to figure out and all this stuff, and it was just, it was striving it was, is what it was. And it finally got to the point where I just said to him, I, I said, look, you need Jesus in your life. And of course he was like, whoa, didn't think we were going there, right? As if that's somehow like the most appalling thing to bring up. I'm like, you do everything that you're telling me. Jesus is the answer for it. And guys, we live in a culture, and many of you, you know this, you've experienced this, maybe you're dealing with this right now. Everybody's searching for something, working for something, striving after something, efforts at achievement, and, and seeking to find security in our identity, and wrestling over things, and desire for justice, and peace, and all of it, all of it is found in Jesus. And, and 
we believers have that to share. For me, I want that fire. Like Jeremiah had, I want it to grow. I want that for all of us. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and you may be thinking, if you're already kind of going back to the beginning of this chapter that I read, it's like, well, how are we getting there? How are we connecting all of this stuff, right? Paul's talking about, can I eat, can I drink, can I marry? Well, listen, Paul here in this chapter, what he's continuing to address is, and this is chapters 8, 9, and 10, he's addressing the topic of Christian liberty. He's addressing the fact that we have freedoms in Christ. Remember last week as we looked at chapter 8, we considered the idea of eating meat from the temple market. Again, kind of a strange topic. And so what Paul's considering is, look, can we eat the meat? Can we not eat the meat? What are we supposed to do? But as we considered last week, and we will do so again today, is it's not really about the meat. It's about something bigger. What Paul wants us to understand as he is seeking to continue to build on this idea of Christian liberty is that while we may have liberty, our liberty should always be limited by love and a passion for something that's greater. And look, we don't always want to do this. Amen? Does everybody just delight in sacrifice? No. Do you get excited about, Here's, I can't wait to give up an, another thing that I like. No. That's not our way. But this is what Paul is seeking to be an example for. To give something up for the sake of another. Listen, Ashley was in the first service, and so that's when she learned that she made it into my message this week. It's always fun, right? I forgot to tell her. I was like, hey, you're in this this week. But look, my wife, dietary stuff. She can't eat conventional oils. It's taken a long time to figure that out. It's kind of weird. Conventional oils. The problem is they're like in everything. They're in everything, right? So if she does, she gets sick. Now, conventional oils, what are those and where are they? Well, a lot of them, Every, nearly every case, fr fried foods, right? Can't eat it. Can't eat it. It's the wrong kind of oil. And some are thinking, like, maybe that's a blessing, right? I wish I couldn't eat fried food. But it's there all the time, right? Now, for us, we don't eat a ton of fried food, and I'm going somewhere with this. But we go out to our restaurant, right? Because it's fun to go out, have a burger, good burger. What's great with a burger? fries you know it nailed it right now listen i got to be clear about this because my wife does not look at me and say you can't eat those fries because i can't eat those fries no she doesn't say she says, go ahead go ahead and eat the fries but that just feels wrong <laughs> it just feels wrong right oh mm, these are good you want one no can't have one what a jerk right i can't do that and so when we sit down and we're having the burger i'm like i'll have a salad I love you, honey, you know, and it's, it's good. But, and here's the deal, please, <laughs> I am not a saint because if you know anything about conventional oils, you know there's oil in the dressing, and then I put the dressing on, right? So it's like, <laughs> the point here, though, is like we're talking about fries. That's <laughs> stupid. But yet it's hard, right? You know it. It's like, oh, that sounded good. I wanted to eat that. Oh. That's, that's something that's so basic, 
So it shouldn't be lost on us that sometimes saying no to something or giving something up in exchange for another can be a difficult thing, right? And so what it becomes then, the question is, as we... Are you okay? Yeah? You sure? You need water? All right. Just want to make sure we're taking care of you. Um... The motivation, right? Why do we do it? In this case, as I sit down and I'm sitting across the table from my wife and I make that decision, well, I know it's because I love her. I don't, I, I don't want to offend. And so love then creates a limit on my liberty. In chapter 9, what we see Paul do is he serves as a further illustration of a mature believer's use of liberty. And what we'll see is that it's his passion for, it's his love for the gospel that prompts him to say, I'll give up anything because this is the most important thing in my life. And that's what the call to us is today is to consider how important is the gospel to us? Again, going back to verse 1, he says, am I not an apostle? And, and, and this will make sense as we make our way through this. It'll make sense what Paul's doing here. He says, am I not an apostle? Am I not free? Have I not seen Jesus Christ our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If I am not an apostle to others, yet doubtless I am to you. For you, the church in Corinth, are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. What Paul begins doing here is he's providing a defense of his apostolic authority. There are those who regularly question Paul's apostolic authority. You're not an apostle, they would say. Because Paul, as we know, was once a persecutor of the church. He didn't serve with the other apostles during Jesus' ministry. His conversion came after. So there were some that questioned his role. And Paul also would often, wherever he went, he would ruffle some feathers as he did in Corinth. And so there were even some people there that were like, I don't want you here. I don't want you to be the apostle that's over us. And so Paul here is beginning to establish the fact that, look, I am an apostle, he says. He says, I've seen Jesus, which was a requirement of a true apostle. And he says, and moreover, I'm yours. The Lord has used me to do this work here in Corinth. Verse 3, so he says, my defense then to those who examine me is this. And defense is really a good translation here because this is legal terminology that he's using, which means Paul's trying to convey here, you guys are sort of putting me on trial. And I'm having to defend my role. And so he says, this is my defense. Verses 4 through 7. Do we have no right to eat and drink? Do we have no right to take along a believing wife, as do also the other apostles, the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? So here he's calling on, he's calling not out, but uh, James, Jude, Peter. He says, these guys are married. Verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who have no right to refrain from, from working? So he says, look, what if I wanted to be married? Is it only for these guys? These guys are supported by the ministry. What about me? Who, whoever goes to war at his own expense, who plants a vineyard and does not eat of its fruit, or who tends a flock and does not drink of the milk of the flock? Now, again, you may be wondering here, okay, you said Paul's going somewhere with this. Where is this line of reasoning or this argument coming from? It can initially seem out of place. Now, what... Paul is doing here is recognizing that there is some debate and there was here in Corinth over whether not just Paul was an apostle but also if someone in gospel ministry should receive financial support for the work that they do 
or should they have to earn money another way? And in Corinth, as other cities, there were those who abused this, who did make money from the ministry, and it was very much at others' expense. Just like today, there are some in ministry who prey on people. They ask them to send money. They promise them blessings, and they give others a bad name. This was certainly happening in Corinth. And uh, not just money, but there is often scrutiny over those in ministry, uh, over just different aspects of their lives. And so Paul is saying, look, do I have no right to eat and drink like the rest? The other apostles, they have wives, their wives travel with them. Right? And Paul gives other examples here. He says, does a soldier go to war at his own expense? We know the answer is no. Many of you here in the military, if you were in the Navy or you were in the Air Force and you you were becoming a pilot and they said, did you buy your plane? Uh, No, I I, I didn't know I was supposed to do that. Well, yeah, come back when you have your plane. No, they provide one, right? Or a farmer. Does a farmer eat of the crops? Look, I grew up in the Midwest. Some of you are familiar with the Midwest. There's a lot of corn. I never met a farmer that was like, oh, I wish I had some corn. Everybody else is eating corn, not me. No, they grew plenty of corn and they ate it. My family on my mom's side, dairy farmers. I hear all the stories about everything they did with the milk. Oh, we had this kind of milk, and then we would take the cream, and we would freeze it, and we would do this and that. They partook of it, right? This isn't, this isn't difficult for us to understand. Paul's saying, look, you guys should know this. So then, Paul, who considers himself one who is leading the church into life's battles, one who is tending the flock, one who's nurturing and seeking to produce fruit among them, he's saying, can I not partake of this with you? And the answer, of course, is yes. So he says, verse 8, do I say these things as a mere man? Or does not the law say the same also? So now Paul's bringing in the law. He's saying it's written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle an ox while it treads out the grain. Paul says, is it the ox that God's concerned about? No. Or does he say it altogether for our sakes? For our sakes, no doubt this is written, that he who plows should plow in hope, and he who threshes in hope should be partaker of his hope. He's saying God didn't put this in the law because he cared about oxen, but because he wanted us to understand a principle, that as the oxen is is working and pulling that millstone and every now and then stops to eat some of the grain that's there in the ground to nourish himself is the same way for us. If you're laboring in something, partake of its fruit. So here Paul cites the Old Testament law to back himself up. Then in verses 11 and 12, he says, if we have sown spiritual things for you, is it a great thing if we reap your material things? If others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? What's Paul saying here? He's saying, look, if you, speaking to the church in Corinth, if you receive a spiritual blessing, you should share material blessing. He says you do this elsewhere. If you go out and you spend your money on something in exchange for something, are you not considering what you receive as a result of the ministry worth giving towards? He's saying, look, are you nourished by the ministry? Do you then go and and give that to something else? You go over and you have a meal at at Olive Garden. Do you afterwards say, I'm going to go tip and pay my bill at Red Lobster next door? The waitress would look at you and say, that doesn't make any sense. You owe me that money, right? 
And, and, and what he's saying here is he says, look, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? He's saying you do this. You make transactions on a regular basis. So let's pause here for a moment and recognize that what Paul is saying here is he's establishing this foundation that, again, may seem out of place momentarily, is that he has a right. He's saying he is justified in receiving support for the work of the ministry. Now, especially if you're joining us or visiting us for the first time today, please understand, this is not a message on tithing. In fact, it's going to take a sharp turn here shortly. But Paul is using this, as he often does, as a way to draw them in to make his point. And so he's saying, look, I am justified in receiving support for the work of the ministry, as are ministry workers today. If you'll indulge me for just a moment, I think it's interesting because Paul says, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? He's saying, look, you spend money on other things. Do you spend it on the ministry? Uh, recently in my uh, Bible class through Grace Community Academy, we looked at an article by Doug Sweeney entitled, When Did Evangelicals Stop Caring About Missions? It's in this that he writes, the total annual income of Christians in the world is $53 trillion. The amount that we, Christians in the world, spend on foreign missions is $52 billion. Now, you might hear $52 billion spent on missions and go, wow, that's great. If you're somewhat inclined towards math, and I'm not, I've just got the notes right before me, uh, Christians today, what that amounts to is that they spend slightly more than 0.09% of income on global missions. Now, still, that doesn't really put it into perspective. Let's look at this. In America alone, Americans spend as much on Christmas as we spend on all Christian ministries. I'm not talking about just foreign missions. I mean, when Christmas comes around, and I work for a major retailer, and I can back this up, we spend more on Christmas than we do on the church. Moreover, we spend as much on dieting programs as we spend on foreign missions. And get this, we spend more on Halloween costumes for pets than we spend on evangelizing unreached people groups. Paul says, if others are partakers of this right over you, are we not even more? Is the ministry not worth more? So Paul says here, I think I have a right to be supported. But then here's where the hook comes in. Nevertheless, we have not used this right. But endure all things, lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. So what Paul has done here is he has made an airtight argument for the fact that he could be and even should be supported financially for the work that he's doing for the sake of the gospel there in Corinth, but he says, I haven't taken a dime because I know it's going to create issues for you. He says, I don't want to hinder the work of the gospel. I don't receive it then. And he even goes, he goes back again to provide another defense saying, do you not know that those who minister the holy things eat of the things of the temple and those who serve at the altar partake of the offerings of the altar? What he's saying is, hey, look, the priests partake of the temple offering and the resources. Furthermore, verse 14, even so the Lord, Jesus himself, has commanded that those who preach the gospel should live from the gospel. 
He's pointing here to Matthew chapter 10, verses 9 and 10, when Jesus said, as he was sending out the disciples, he said, Provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belts nor bag for your journey nor two tunics nor sandals nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. He said, look, Jesus himself even said people are going to take care of you. But Paul says again in verse 15, but I have used none of these things. Nor have I written these things that it should be done so to me. He's saying, I'm not writing this letter to give you a hint to start supporting me. He says, for it would be better for me to die than that anyone should make my boasting void. Now, why is this important for the church in Corinth? Well, no differently than what we saw in chapter 8 with the eating of meat. And what we've seen from the very beginning is this church is largely divided is it's comprised of those who came from a wealthy background who were somewhat aristocratic, if you will, in the community there. And with the issue of meat, they could afford meat. They could buy the meat wherever. Whereas then you had other people who were in a lower financial class who maybe had just gotten saved right out of those very temples who the only meat that they could eat was the ones is the meat that was sacrificed to the idols. And they're saying there's a conflict here. We're struggling with this. It's the same way with the money. Paul understood, and, and he sort of touches on this in a moment, but there were people in the church who wanted to give him money. But they were the wealthy people in the church who, quite frankly, didn't really like him. They liked Apollos more, and if they gave him money, they could start to have some control over Paul. He suddenly would become a bit of a hireling. And so he knew that that was going to be an issue if he received money from them. And then the same time, he had the people who were like, look, I'm struggling financially, and so he knew it was going to be a stumbling block for them. So in this particular case, he said, look, I'm not going to do this because I know the effect that it's going to have. And so what we see here is that Paul has now referenced apostolic authority, human logic, Old Testament law, current customs, and Jesus' own instruction showing that he has the right to receive financial support. But for the effectiveness of the gospel witness in Corinth, he limits this right. And so Paul out of a passion and love for the gospel and for these people would not receive support so that he would not in any way wound the weak conscience of a believer in Corinth. Now, some people look at this today, and maybe even your mind goes here in terms of like, okay, well, what of paid ministry today? And I don't say this as a defense for myself, but some people have taken this and they say, look, nobody in gospel ministry then should make any money from that. They shouldn't be supported in that way. But, what they fail to realize is that in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 8, Paul comes back and he says, hey, by the way, that whole me not taking any financial resources or support, the only reason I was able to do that here in Corinth is because the churches elsewhere were supporting me. And so what he helps them to see then is that his, his work in Corinth was actually a missionary work. He was sent and supported by others to bring the gospel to that area. And so indeed, churches were coming alongside, they were helping, but he knew that for this one, it would very much be a problem. And so he's willing to put that aside for the sake of the gospel. He says in verses, uh, verses 16 and 17, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What's Paul saying here? What he's saying is he's not boasting in the fact that he preaches the gospel. He says, I have no choice but to preach the gospel. That's the thing that out of all this stuff makes the most sense. That's what I have to do. He's saying just like Jeremiah, it would be like fire in his bones if he didn't do it. 
What his boast is, is that he's doing it without asking for support because of his passion for reaching the lost. And so look, this is what we have to understand today. This passage, just like chapter 8, isn't so much about money, just like chapter 8 is not about meat. It's about liberty and limiting our liberty out of love. Now, as far as money is concerned, there's certainly principles here. Yes, we can learn from this chapter some, some principles on finances. And, and I think it's important just as we encounter this to just make mention of it here quickly because this helps to inform some of what we do here at Calvary Chapel. Look, do we pressure you into tithing here? I hope that the answer would be no. We try not to. There's a box at the back. We don't, even, we don't really even mention it. Right? We don't pass the plate. We don't make it a big event when there's time to, to, to provide your tithes and offerings. That's just not how we do it here. It's a conviction that we have. If you've been with us for at least, I can say with confidence, for at least the last three years, you've not heard me teach on money or giving once. We go verse by verse. We deal with it when it comes up. Now, because of that, I feel a lot more confidence then, and I have done this by occasionally saying, hey, we're taking up a love offering. There's a, there's a family need or there's something going on that we'd invite you guys to give towards, and you guys give generously. Or we say, hey, we, we want to send another young adult to the 10th hour. We want to provide a scholarship, and you guys make that happen. But we don't ever want a young believer to stumble over a focus on money. So we trust the Lord to work and to work through you. And so, yes, you, you give based off of how the Lord directs you, but we trust Him to do that. Furthermore, I don't see tithe records. Right? So I don't know. I can sit here and look every one of you in the eye today. I can say, I don't know if you give or you don't give. I don't know if you give a lot or you give a little. So that anything that I do for you that is from a place of ministry, you can be confident that I do it because it's what I'm called to do, not because I'm seeking to cater to you and what you give financially. I don't know those things. Now, yeah, I'm full-time at the church now. I'm grateful for that. It wasn't always that way. We've added staff as the Lord has blessed us. But what if we couldn't? What if that wasn't an option anymore? Well, my heart should be that of Paul's, and it should be all of our hearts. Verse 18, what is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. What is Paul's reward? What is he saying then? He says, I get to tell people about Jesus. He says, preaching the good news freely, that's my reward. And no doubt he has an understanding of his eternal rewards. Listen, I want you to hear this today. This is, this is what's amazing about what Paul is putting forth here. He says, he says I have found a reward that is more valuable than my freedom or my rights, anything that I may be entitled to. And I want everybody to know about it. Listen, context again here is so important. We touched on this a little bit already, but let's not miss it. That those in Corinth especially, this was very much a Greek culture. They were so motivated by achievement and performance and acceptance and identity. Does that sound familiar? Right, and Paul's looking at this. He's looking into this culture and he's saying, you guys need Jesus. 
This is the answer to everything that you're dealing with. And it's no different today. And we can look at our culture here in America and we can see how fragile identity is and how much people are seeking to achieve and perform and establish their value and their worth and just longing for someone to affirm that. And we can tell them, Jesus does. He loves you. He has created you with dignity and value and purpose. Everything that you are looking for and longing for can be found in Him and in Him alone. And what a blessing, what a privilege it is to tell somebody that. Have you ever told somebody about the good news of the Gospel and seen it transform their life? It's the greatest thing that you can ever do. Can I get an amen on that? I know some of you have experienced that and some of you want to. Guys, it's like the violin. It's the most beautiful thing. What right do we have to hold it back? And so Paul says, look, I don't need anything. I just want to tell you what you need to hear. Look, you may not ever be faced with the same decision that Paul faced. You may not be in a situation where you have to determine whether you're going to receive or reject support for the work of the Gospel. But every single person here today, at least those who I'll address today is those who know Jesus, you have a critical question to answer. What rights are you willing to sacrifice for the cause of Jesus? What are you willing to sacrifice for the sake of the Gospel? Now, this can be a difficult thing because sometimes we can sort of wonder, well, what, what, what are those things? And I don't know what they are in your life, but the Lord does. And, it, and it's not always that He's asking for much from us. But as I shared last week, I firmly believe that if we're regularly seeking Him and praying, Lord, give me a sensitivity to Your Spirit. Give me sensitivity in every interaction that I know what this person needs where they're at in relation to the, to the gospel and to receiving the truth of the gospel. Well, chances are in that He's going to show you how you can minister to them. And so it's going to be different oftentimes for each of us. And we're going to consider more next week some of the very practical components of, of what this means and what this looks like in our, in our lives. I think it's fitting next week. And here again is your reminder, next week's Sunday, May 8th, it's Mother's Day, okay? Don't say I didn't remind you. I think it's fitting that next Sunday we're going to consider the example of those who sacrifice much for another. I don't know about you, but I see moms do that regularly. And so we'll deal with this a little bit more practically next week as well. And we're going to, for the sake of time and communion, close here today. I'll close on verse 19. Paul says this. He says, For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. Now, no doubt about it, that's the heart of an evangelist. And we're not all called to be evangelists in perhaps its truest definition of Scripture. But we're all called to limit our liberty out of love for the lost. Amen? Paul says here, look, I've got freedoms. Paul had freedom just like we all do. He had identity. He had a sense of self. He had things that he wanted to do. He had needs. But bringing people to Jesus was more important. 
people knowing the truth of the gospel that changed his own life was more important. People knowing the truth of the gospel served to limit the liberty that he knew. And I think every believer must ask, how precious is the gospel to me? And what, if anything, would I sacrifice so that others could hear? Halloween costumes for our pets. Now, I'm not saying, please, please. If that's you, sell some of those Halloween costumes, all right? <laughs> Offload a few. Repent and say, okay, I won't hit up the pet store this year. Because, guys, those, that's some of it, right? Is a willingness to just evaluate what we're giving. And I'm not talking about just in tithes and offerings to the church, but Lord, what's my, let me look at my life. Let me evaluate my life. Lord, what am I putting towards this? Because as we know, man, tomorrow could be the day. This afternoon could be the day that Jesus could say, we're going. Church, you're out of here. And maybe it's, maybe it's in a couple more decades. Maybe it's in 50 years. I don't know, but that pales in comparison to eternity. And so what he's saying to us through his word here is, look, the time is short. you got eternity with rewards that you can't even comprehend. So in this in-between time, what are you willing to sacrifice? What are you willing to give so that others may know until the whole world knows? And for the sake of today, again, we'll talk more about this next week. For the sake of today, let's look now at our perfect example of sacrifice. Verse 19 sounds uh, a little familiar, doesn't it? Sounds like someone we know. For though I am free from all men, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win the more. That's Jesus. Paul writes elsewhere in Philippians 2, 5-8, through 8, he says, Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, free from all men, made himself a servant to all and he gave himself for us. How incredible is that? And so this morning, as we consider what we would sacrifice so that the gospel could be known, we remember and celebrate the one who gave it all. If you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior today, then this communion table is open for you. Come forward and partake. If you don't know him today, we ask that you'd either refrain or even better, that you'd give him your life today. That you'd say, I want to know that kind of love that kind of sacrifice, and you'd surrender your life to him. Just say, Lord, I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die for me. I repent of my sins. Jesus, come into my life. I want you. I don't want this world anymore. And take as a believer for the first time. As I pray, I want to welcome the ushers to come forward and ready communion. Father, we pause here this morning once again, and we give you thanks, Lord, for your word, your word that by your spirit challenges us, Lord. It pushes us. It convicts us, and Lord, that's a good thing. Your word does not condemn us. No, that's not you. You never condemn. But Lord, you do convict, you do challenge, you do push us, Lord, closer 
to what you have for us. And so, Lord, we thank you for your word this morning, and we recognize that, Lord, it's this study that we're in here. It's not about meat sacrifice to idols or financial support. It's about, Lord, what we think we have right to, what we think we deserve, what we're entitled to. But Lord, when we hold those things up to you and your example, Lord, we know that it all just falls apart because you gave it all for us. And you invite us in to be, Lord, workers for you, ministers of reconciliation. Lord, what grace that is. What mercy. And so, Lord, help us this morning to consider what it is in our lives that you would call us to lay down for the sake of the gospel. To lay down for others, Lord. Lord, give us a love for the lost. Give us an awareness, Lord, of how much you've given for us. And remind us, Lord, that this life here and now is just temporary. Lord, against the backdrop of eternity, it's just a moment in time. So, Lord, may that knowledge serve to strengthen us, Lord, as we do seek to lay down whatever it may be, Lord, for you. Lord, bless this time of communion. We pray, Lord, that it be pleasing to you. As we look back now, Lord, we remember you. We look inward as well, Lord, and allow you to search our hearts such that, Lord, we take in a worthy manner here today. We love you and praise you. Bless this time now, Lord, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Here at CCNE, there are so many events happening throughout the week. So make sure that you are subscribed to the weekly e-bulletin so you can be fully informed of all that we're doing. For more info, or if there are any prayer requests you'd like to share with us, be sure to visit us at ccnortheast.org.